0: this is hops and spirits bar conversations come for the craft beer bourbon whiskey and great drinks stay for the conversations here's your host jonathan green
1: welcome into another edition of the bar conversations and this one is uh 101 in a lot of different ways it's episode 101 we're also in the spirits 101 with jake Selleck, and we talk rum for tasting notes But for episode 101, our conversations with the Blue Dogs out of South Carolina, they got a new album out. And what is so cool with them is, you know, typically in our conversations, I drink a lot of whiskey, or maybe some barrel aged beer, but this time it is Hops and Spirits. So we go strictly hops and they have their own beer in collaboration with Holy City Brewing out of Charleston, South Carolina. It's a cool interview. They've got so much history. Um, It's a a lot of fun and I hope you enjoy all of it. Uh, But let's not waste any more time and uh, get right into it. It's almost time.
0: Where did, I, where, where did I put those?
1: Here they are. <laughs> it's time
0: for Tasting Notes.
1: Welcome back again to another Tasting Notes and we're in the mist of Spirits 101 with Jake Sulek, who's the beverage director partner with the Professors LLC. Jake, uh, good to be talking to you as always. Thanks, Jonathan. Now, you know, first round was gin and vodka and kind of those grain-neutral spirits. Then we went to brandy, where I realized that cognac was a brandy shame on me Uh, but I'm learning and that's what spirits 101 is all about and and on this one we're going to go to rum and how interesting rum is because truthfully I again feel naive that I didn't realize there was kind of white rum and dark rum and obviously then the, the countries and how it can differ so for those just the basics of rum what is it
0: all right so a lot like our discussions on vodka and gin and our discussion with brandy, this really starts with the raw material because all rum is gonna be made from sugar. Uh, That's not to say that there's sugar in rum or that rum tastes sweet because it's sugar. It's still a spirit, which means there's no added sugar to it. So if if it comes across sweet on the palate, that's only like a perception of sweetness. You're not detecting actual sugar, but the raw product is gonna be sugar. Now there's a couple different ways they can do this um it came about historically because sugar is a bi- or uh, molasses is a byproduct of making sugar so a lot of rum is made from molasses because it was basically free it's something that distilleries in the 1600s would have just been dumping into the ocean but you can also take fresh sugarcane and actually juice it and take that juice and thereby ferment it and distill it so there are a couple different ways to make rum and it just depends which country you're in to determine what, what kind of rum you're gonna be drinking. Um, in any case, after that, uh, rum works a lot like brandy. It's gonna be fermented, distilled. Some rums are aged, some are not. They're a stylistic choice. Each country has its own laws regarding how rum can be made and how it can be labeled. Not all countries recognize each other's laws regarding rum. So rum is probably the most intimidating shelf to go look at at a liquor store because there are so many different options and you really just have to figure out which styles you like and then stick with those styles. They they evolved historically um, as people colonized different countries in the Caribbean. They brought with them certain traditional methods of distilling spirits. And if those people left or lost a war and someone else came in, then those ideas were supplanted or combined with someone else's tradition. And so you get a lot of weird hybrid ways of making spirits in the Caribbean, which can account for such a wide variety of flavors. Most molasses-based, most rums are going to be molasses-based because it's cheap. Sugar cane juice-based spirits are going to be a little bit more expensive. I think the... The countries that define them, Brazil, Brazil makes cachaça, which is always going to be made from fresh pressed sugarcane rather than molasses. And then you've got uh, French Martinique. Martinique has a number of really, really old distilleries that always make their rum from freshly pressed sugarcane. That's going to taste very bright, very grassy. You're going to have a lot more esters on it, so you can get a lot of fruit notes. Whereas a, for example, a Spanish style Cuban or Puerto Rican rum is going to be thoroughly distilled. It's going to be super light. Think of these like um, Cruzan or Havana Club or Bacardi. These are going to be really super mixable, but they're not going to have a ton of fruit flavors on their own. And then you've got a British style uh, like Jamaican rum, for example, that's fermented for sometimes up to two weeks and then distilled in pot stills, or a combination of pot and column stills that are gonna be estuary to the extreme. These are gonna taste like days or weeks old bananas, mango, pineapple, very, very, very fruity, very character, characterful, very fruit forward. They make amazing tiki drinks, but they're gonna be, in terms of challenge level, they're gonna be for the most experienced drinkers.
1: I was going to say, I mean, like when someone goes to that shelf, because I feel like that's happening in, in a lot of spirits categories these days, is there's just so many options. And you typically kind of go with the one, you know, because you're like, oh, gosh, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you know, and you like you said, you almost panic. So if you're going to kind of look at, at the shelf, what would maybe be a good starting point? And then kind of, like you said, build up to something. And obviously, as everyone knows, you drink it how you like it and different taste buds will, will like
0: different things, but maybe where's a good starting point? I'd I'd start something on the lighter side, and and pick pick a country, um, and then kind of stay within that country and try some other producers. Um, I always recommend just to kind of break our the hold that you know a plain white Bacardi rum sort of has on on us. I always recommend people start with Martinique. Just get a eighty proof clear unaged Martinique rum. Um, they're, they're sometimes called rum agricoles because they're made in agricultural way rather than a super industrial column still way of, of production. Rum Clement is an example, JM is another great example, uh, Le Favourite is another Martinique rum. These are all going to be really fruity and grassy and fun, completely different different flavor profile than something like a Bacardi or a Cruzan, but they're gonna be the same proof and and, in a similar price range as well. They won't be clumped in with the 10 different versions of Malibu rum on the shelf. They'll be a little bit higher, but they're still gonna be $20, 20, $25 a bottle, and you're gonna get a very different experience, and if you like that, if you like something that's different, then you can start branching out into maybe cachaça first and then branching out into some medium or darker aged rums from there.
1: And then I was going to say, you know, I've, you know at the beginning I talked about how I felt naive about not knowing there was white, you know, clear white rum and yeah. dark rum. What are the differences there that that people really need to pay attention to when they're they're looking at the shelves and, and what they say
0: that that one's tricky dark dark (laughs) rum is is a marketing term like what what makes a dark rum versus an aged rum or a well-aged rum uh most of the time if if the spirit looks so dark it's almost black it's just from added caramel coloring um it's really what's is what's driving that it's not aged or barreled in in a in a special way black rum as a category is more marketing than anything. It doesn't mean that there aren't really awesome rums. I think that um, as far as dark rums or black rums go, Gosling's Black Seal from Bermuda is an amazing rum at $15 a bottle, and they do some really terrific single barrel stuff. But um, I would stick with, if, if you're looking for something that's got more barrel influence, rather than just buying a black rum or something that says black rum on the label, stick with an age statement. Because rums do have age statements. Like you can get a really amazing twelve-year-old El Dorado from Demerara County for probably thirty-five dollars a bottle. Which compared to American whiskey prices, thirty-five dollars <laughs> for a twelve-year-old product is amazing.
1: Yeah, just a, just just a, a little bit. And and you know you know how we talked with kind of brandy and things that you have to watch out for. What is there anything you need to be careful when you're looking for on the shelves of rum? Because clearly it is a crazy you know experience when you're there you're like with brandy liqueurs that could could trick you is there anything on the rum side that you need to be careful yeah you run into the
0: same problem with rum if if it's not 80 proof it's not actually a spirit it's going to be a uh, it's going to have a spirit base that's been blended with some sort of sweetener or sugar um, to turn it into a liqueur most spiced rums are actually um, liqueurs, they do have added sugar to them. Um, anything that's gonna be, most things that's gonna be infused, I should say, there are a few exceptions, but most things that are infused or have 10 different bottles with 10 different flavors, probably liqueurs, probably not actual um, distillates. So I, I generally stay away from the sections on the shelf that have 20 versions of, of, of one brand. Stay away from there and explore the top two or three shelves. They're going to have, you're going to have more interesting products up there.
1: I, I love that. And I'm excited to finish this off next week with Mexican Spirits because there is a wide variety there and it's very cool. And um, I, I love this, Jake. I appreciate it. And uh, until next time. Great. See you then.
0: Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com.
1: Joining us here on the Bar Conversations for a fun episode, I'm hoping for. We're going away from the beer side or from the whiskey side and headed toward the beer side. I got Bobby Hauk and Hank Futch from the Blue Dogs. That's it, man. Well done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> keep up the name pronunciation test. <laughs> feel I feel
3: like was i so know. worried. I feel like it several times in our career. People have been like, fudge, the hell do I these Futch,
1: <laughs> I was so worried. Cause I said, you know, normally it goes so well before. And then I hit the record button and it goes so sideways. But, <laughs> but today I was good. And, and Bobby and Hank are, are the, the founders uh, of the blue dogs who have been around a while. I, I don't want to tell anyone how long in case, you know, that you just don't want to know, but you're, let's, you let's, guys have been around as long as I've been alive.
3: Okay. Yeah. Somebody, <laughs> there, there, was, there was an article that was written recently that said, what was that beginning line? It was like, it was something about, oh, I, have to, I might have to look it up while we're talking, but it, it was something basically about like the last time, if your child was born the last time the Blue Dogs put out a studio album, they're old enough to vote. You know yeah. your child's old enough to vote or go to go to war, fight. You know, join the army. <laughs> oh, so what sorry, you're saying
1: oh. is, is, it's been a while, um, and we'll be talking about that here in a little bit. But I also want to talk. Hank had it up. On, if you're watching and not listening, Hank had had it up on the screen. Um, I guess I know what you all are drinking tonight because it's pretty special to y'all. It,
2: it, is. it is. It is. It's a... it is. It's got our. There you go well i'll give you
3: it's a holy city brewing it's a big dreamer belgian wet i feel like i have too much light so i'm gonna
1: move my light and this is what it looks like in a glass so we're all drinking the same thing and it's (laughs) a and uh so you all have a beer how cool is that i mean how cool is that
3: what's really cool is actually my our manager kind of you know had the idea and obviously there's branding opportunities these days with with liquor people have sort of figured that out it's not like it's a new thing but but the fact that we would have never thought of doing it you know and and you really and but and it really depends on the brewery and let me just say that um holy city brewing has just been so much fun so easy to work with I mean they responded right away to it they knew who the band was they were you know, they thought it was cool. And, and, you know, it wasn't just like they made a beer and we just put our stamp on it. I mean, they, they let yeah. us come in and taste and talk about what we were thinking about.
2: Yeah, they were op- open to any and all options, really, whatever we wanted to do. Was,
1: yeah. I mean, how, how um, cool was it know, working I- with Holy City? I mean, how cool well, was it? it-
2: it was it was uh it was always you know shoot, anybody say, hey you know anybody gives you the opportunity to come by and taste a bunch of beer you know I'm your guy you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we had several meetings that were just great where we were just talking beer you know we uh we, we you know we had talked about doing this Belgian whip but before that we were trying all the let me try another one of those Ipas because they've got like you know yeah. 30 40 beers you know so yeah. yeah. that's tasted all the IPAs then yeah. it was time to taste I just, the,
3: the... I just want to make sure we haven't left anything, left any stones unturned. Let's make right, sure, right. Let's make sure <laughs> we explore every option that's, that we have. So and what you're service. saying is
1: you, you all were very involved and there was lots and lots of taste testing.
3: <laughs> there, there, exactly. there, truthfully, yeah, it was like three or four good good visits and, uh, and we worked with JT uh, Stelmach, Stelmach, speaking of not being sure how to pronounce, but anyway, JT, who works at Holy City is, uh, was really cool. He took us under his wing right away. And, um, you know, we, we, we identified our key, our key component of the beer right away is that it is similar to why we probably started playing in a band. That's because we want girls to like it. (laughs) And, um, and like us, and therefore, you know, if we want to have a beer, the girls better like the beer because the girls like the beer, you know, the boys will automatically fall in line. But <laughs> we didn't want it to be like so hoppy and so, uh, I love a brown ale, you know, and Hank's Hank was really into the IPAs for a while there, mm-hmm. still are. It took me a little while. I kind of had a breakthrough with IPAs this year. Like it just, I just wouldn't, I didn't like the heavy IPAs. And I got into Brown Ale and I did, and I Shiner bach, and, and uh, I was really liking Sam Adams, regular old Sam Adams, you know, or some of the Sam Adams stuff. But, but then, uh, then I got into Highland Gaelic Ale. Ooh. And the Highland Gaelic ale is, you know, and the shiner Bach like always had to that. And then and then at Christmas I weighed two hundred and twenty-five pounds. <laughs> I have had something to do with it. But so I've backed off of the of the IPAs a little bit. But. well I, I was gonna say, character?
1: I mean what well, you know how, how, was this a style that you all loved and just kinda gravitated toward like as you kind of began to mold that idea of what would be an approachable beer for all and and you know things like that is that just kind of what what happened was with the belgian wit and then they took it a little further or or how how much went back and forth even on on getting this kind of fine-tuned
2: yeah i mean i remember bobby just saying you know wheat you know like a like a wheat beer would be a good summer beer and it'd be a lighter beer that that women like and uh, my wife at the time was loved those blue moons with just a little bit of, you know, orange, orange you know, or tangerine or whatever it's, it's on, and that's that's uh, you know, I was like, shoot, yeah, I, I love those things. Yeah. <laughs> they go down, there, go down easy. They're nice and light and uh, yeah. flavorful. And I,
3: and I was kind of, I was kind of in the middle of, um oh, I'll tell you the other beer that I had just started to like around the time that we were. Ch- was uh pernicious the um is yeah that's uh sierra nevada no Hmm. no no no
2: is that sierra nevada well wicked weed
3: wicked weed okay pernicious ale is i got onto those so so i i was really getting into that little hoppy thing and so i was like you know can we do something light and refreshing and sparkly and all those words that we were using but can we get a little throw a little hop in there somewhere and and he was like, "Yeah, absolutely, we can do." You know, it was, it was really it, like Hank said. It was like, "Yes, whatever you want to do. Yes, we can do that." Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, as you said, it's a Belgian whipped beer, dry hot with Citra and Cascade hops, uh, with a nice citrus finish, and it, it is lo- wonderful. I, I really enjoy this. Awesome. And as I was as I was joking with Hank beforehand, I I said, "Yes, beer. Yes, I will gladly take it." And then I went. Oh man, I didn't even ask what it was, <laughs> and, but I'm like you, you Bobby. I've come around to the IPAs doing this. I've gotten to try a lot more. I'm um, still not getting the double or triple, you know, IPAs, anything like that. But right, right. give me a nice New England hazy IPA or something like that with some, some hops like this, and, and I'll enjoy it.
3: Uh oh, we got dogs involved. We are blue dogs, by the way. Yeah. Yep. So,
1: yep. No now, did you guys do any of the brewing? Did they let you in on that process? Let you pour in some hops? You know, let you do the whole thing?
3: Uh, literally, uh, they—they they, we were there for when they started the process, when they started the boiling and all that, or whatever they do originally, and whether you pour in the stuff, and then and then we came back what two weeks later.
2: Hank, yeah. Uh. Yeah, it was. It was oh, like two were... between. Yeah, in between. You know sessions <laughs> drinking sessions and-
3: right right and uh yeah we came back and they they let us uh you know it was cool they were very patient and instructing us like what what the process was like we've got a we got a bunch of pictures if you want to um we should probably send you some pictures from our phones so you maybe include those on the site if you want to where where the podcast is so that people can see the if they're interested that much but it was cool we got a lot of pictures of us you know being right there and following the whole process and then and then when it got to the end that was great we actually created i don't know if hank has told you already but we we ended up doing a video at holy city on mother's day and uh we part of the video shows the 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 canning process and it, you know it's kind of like Laverne and Shirley you know <laughs> are coming down the, we wanted to put a glove on one be like you know but, uh, that was pretty cool and so yeah our our, our video well it was the vi- it's the video for the song big dreamer which had nothing to do with the beer but that's what we ended up deciding to call the beer
0: mm-hmm.
1: well I think it fits and you know it, it it's it sounds like a, a great summer beer and it tastes like a great summer beer now you know, you guys also do music, is what I've been told. I even There's even a QR code on here that I'm pretty sure takes you yeah. to find uh, music for the beer lovers. So, yes. how, yeah. how did the band get started? Because you guys have been doing this for a, a couple of years.
3: Well, professionally yeah. for 35 and uh, unprofessionally for much longer. Much longer. <laughs>
1: just a couple years but so when did you two decide to go maybe the professional route um and and make this a a thing
2: yeah that was that was probably right after i graduated uh Mm -hmm. moved to moved to richmond bobby was living up there in richmond virginia and we'd been playing a lot like through you know the summers you know up to that point and then um you know we just had you know we had friends that were uh you know, they had the hoodies that were, you know, rocking yeah. and rolling along as Edwin McCain and all them. And we were like, you know, shoot, man, we got a, we got a good sound. You know, yeah, do yeah,
3: yeah, we, uh, you know, but Hank and I, just to back up a little bit, Hank and I met in Cub Scouts. We were in Cub Scouts together for one year when we were eight years old. We grew up in Florence, South Carolina, so our, you know, our parents knew each other and, and uh, we did that. Cub Scout year and then Hank was at one school and I was at another school and didn't really see him a whole lot until later in high school. He came to the school that I had been at the whole time. And um, and we started kind of getting together a little bit and playing. I mean, I was I was a drummer and Hank was playing bass, but we I kind of started his dad played guitar and his brother. And so a lot of a lot of the early days was me sitting in the background while Hank's dad and he and his brother entertained at party, <laughs> and I would sort of, I'd sort of be sitting in the back, just barely playing, trying to keep up. And uh, then I started, then I started playing in college guitar a little bit more and singing. And then Hank and I would see each other at home. He's at college of Charleston. I'm at Davidson. And we, uh, so yeah, we were kind of the, we were kind of the party entertainment back then before there was uh, you know, as, as an alternative to the jam box. <laughs> and yeah. uh and then i followed two guys to richmond after i graduated and we started playing as the blue dogs and then hank and hank was really knew those guys too by that point and it was just like hank was a little behind me and said you know we we're like you're coming up to richmond you know so really we ended up kind of starting as an acoustic trio in richmond a couple of years and then and then hank and i both moved back to the carolinas and uh we uh you know, he went to work for his dad. I was a school teacher. I taught school, and and after three years of that, uh, I decided I was going to get out of there and get get my master's in education, thinking that that was my sort of thing. I mean, we didn't think about that you could actually do this for a career. You know, mm-hmm. and Hank was, you know, but we were. But meanwhile, we were. We did have by that point. You know, when it, in nineteen. 92, which is my third year of teaching. I mean, we could go to Charleston, Columbia, Charlotte, Raleigh, Atlanta, Richmond, DC. We could go to all those towns and play to a couple hundred people at least. And in, and in Charlotte and Charleston or Greenville, it'd be three or 400 or maybe 500. So we were, we were kind of like, and it's so funny. We were just like part-time in it. <laughs> But, but the uh, the real I, I always say and Hank you I don't know if you agree I, I think this story is right it might have been embellished a little bit but we we got asked in April of '96 to open up for Hootie we got a call Hank got a call probably and hey they're playing a free concert in Columbia and they want us to open up can we do that yeah yes and it was the it was the uh, the night before their second album release so if you if you know Hootie biography Hootie history, that, that was when they were at their absolute, you know, fervor peak. And uh, it was a beautiful day in April and 25,000 people came. I mean, just people everywhere in this park. And allegedly we're backstage and somebody, and, you know, of course you'd like to think it was Darius or what, but one of them was like, what are y'all doing? And, you know, Hank was like, well, I'm working with my dad selling gypsum and whatever. I'm like, I'm like, I'm working in Virginia at a doing fundraising. And Philip was like, I'm selling boats in Georgetown. And it was <laughs> it was kinda like the reaction from these guys who have just been through this rocket ride. They're looking at us going like, What is wrong with y'all?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: and then things changed. So June of June of ninety six, I packed up my stuff and drove to Charleston. I was having so much fun. I didn't even have a place to live for nine months. I was just living out of my car and Dan Radovanick's house and whatever, whoever might take me in for the night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, so you mentioned that the blue dog name has, has been around. Well, how, what, what is the blue dog's name? How does that come from? What, uh, you know, as a band. It,
3: it was, um, the two guys that I followed to Richmond, they were my fraternity brothers we were in S we were essays at Davidson and we actually had this party called the progressive drinking party. (laughs) And it was, um, it was dry. It was, it was, it was a day party. So it was a, and it was a date function and you, you and your date and you got, you got two solo cups, red solo cups everywhere. And it was and vodka was the theme. And the first place was like at 1130, you got screwdrivers or you got bloody Mary's. And and you got two of them, and you had a little ticket on your thing, and they would punch your ticket, and you get your two drinks, and you you know hang out at that location, music playing. You would both finish your drinks, and then it's like, up oh, the here's comes the school bus, time to get on the bus, and you go get on the and go to the next location, and you get <laughs> off and get punched in two more cups, and it was vodka and orange juice screwdrivers. Then the next one was vodka and wink. I remember we had a vodka and wink stop. By the time we got back to the house, you can imagine like five or six in the afternoon. And the only thing at the house was blue dog punch and blue dog punch was, you know, PJ punch. Uh, that was just basically Hawaiian, Hawaiian punch and grain alcohol, but it had dry ice in it. And you, when you would ladle it out, you know, it would smoke and, uh, And that was it. And there was a lot of people throwing up that night, me included, I can tell you. And uh, it was not pretty. (laughs) But when we started thinking of a band, of band names, this one of the original members, Buck Bradbury was just, he was just into dogs. He's like, well, you know, we got to, whatever it is, we got to be dogs. We got to be something dogs. (laughs) So we were like, all right, well, and then we thought about the dogs and, moon dogs that was what the beatles were going to be for a minute and then we kind of kept going around and then somebody said blue dog punch you know what about blue dogs and it was before the guy from new orleans started painting the blue dog i mean he got world famous painting the blue Dog. so that happened in like 1991 or two or three so we beat him by a couple years but
1: so you are the original you all are the original and
3: you know i like to think it but you know at the same time blue dogs is not a very i mean it's kind of almost a generic thing now you think about but i mean yeah i mean i don't think there was anything else blue dogs but there's a few now we're starting to see a few more pop up you know but (laughs) i don't know what i I can't think of is what we would call ourselves if we weren't the blue dogs but at one point we thought of something what was that hank it was a the Fabulous the Cheese Dogs.
1: <laughs> you know, it could work. <laughs> it could work.
3: <laughs> if we ever became like a cover band again, you know, that was where we we're going to head.
1: I was, was going to say, I mean, the Blue Dog seems to work, seems to fit the the vibe of the music and just kind of who, who y- y'all are. I mean, what, what got y'all into music? Because it, it clearly sounds like, you know, Hank, you grew up around music your entire life. Bobby, maybe a little bit of the same, even if it was a little bit different. But, I mean, what got you all into music?
2: Yeah. I mean, shoot. Uh, you know, Growing up, certainly with Dad, but my brother also played. Um, and we were, you know, a year apart. And we were both learning to play bluegrass music together, you know. So, so we just, you know, Dad took us to a couple bluegrass festivals, and we were hooked immediately <laughs> And that's all we wanted to do for years and years. <laughs> Just play bluegrass country, and then of course when Bobby and I started playing, you know, we started. You know, he he, he learned he learned a lot of his uh, music favorites came from his sister and his his older older sister and brother that had the Bob Dylan and the whatever. Yeah, say but uh
3: neil young, all that stuff because they were you know she was but, the one that was dropping so she got to pick the eight tracks <laughs> So like pure prairie league busting out and neil young harvest and all you know neil young uh you know all the neil young mm-hmm. records and bob dylan blood on the tracks and so i knew all that stuff and um but you know also leonard skinner i mean we share if you grew up in the south and that time in the late 70s you know you're you're, you're all listening to Leonard Skinner, you're listening to Tom Petty, you know, there's starting to be a cougar melon camp. I mean, so it, t- it was, it's funny. A lot of the rootsy kind of rootsy rock music that we get kind of compared to, I mean, that's kind of what was happening, you know, so what was happening at the time, but um, yeah, I don't know, man, you know, it's one of those things you look back on it and you don't know. My mom played piano and she used to say that when she would play I, at a certain age, I would get under the piano and listen to her play. Like I'd crawl underneath it, but I never wanted to take piano lessons. So go figure. But um, I just wanted to play the drums and I started playing the drums and I kind of taught myself. And then that kind of led to, you know, playing in a band in high school. And then, and then I got started learning the guitar from the guy playing guitar and it was just, you know, one of those things. And then, and then, but, but man, the bluegrass stuff, if you, when you see the big dreamer video, You'll see Hank holding a picture of his dad when he had his guitar back in the day. And, and um, just to be around him uh, as a guy, as a high school kid trying to learn how to play music. And you got Hanks just slapping the bass, you know, and, and you're just looking at that and you can't help but smile. That's what people do to this day. and um, But his dad was just the kind of person that would just come into a room like, a, like an ev- evangelical preacher. You know, he would just... You know, he just grab you by the throat. If you didn't pay attention, he would call you out. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, All
3: people, right. here. They want to listen. You want to talk yeah. outside? Take it, out. Take it out. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm talking. I'm talking right now. And um, you know, just to hear. And then he would. Then he'd go into a song like, you know, hey, Have you been to Jesus with the cleansing power? How you wash with blood of the Lamb? I mean, it was like stuff that you just never heard, and just, it was great. It was great. I mean, it just wasn't any, couldn't have been any better. And uh, so, it just kind of, you know, Hank's bluegrass and, and my sort of folky rock stuff, and and then kind of Grateful Dead was kind of in the middle of all that. And if you think about, night, we graduated college in 1987 and 88. So that was right in the middle of the Grateful Dead resurgence. You know, when Jerry Garcia comes out of the coma and they had the first top 10 hit in 1987. It was the year I graduated from college. I mean, so that was what was happening. I mean, that was just, we were right in the middle of it, you know. And and, uh, so we sort of went to a lot of dead shows and started playing a lot of dead songs and realized that, oh my God, the dead played bluegrass and Jerry played banjo. And so... (laughs) You know, now there's obviously a whole genre, there was a whole genre of music, the jam stuff based on that. So we, you know, it's funny. We just flirted with that a little bit. And we flirted with Bluegrass a little bit. And we, you know, tried to kind of be a rock band because we feel like that's kind of what we, what we really are when it comes down to it. But, um... I was going to you know, say, we I mean, just
1: kind of, you just know, thinking about, world. you know, South Carolina and where y'all grew up, kind of that's coastal south too you know not 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 the south where you might think of southern rock but that coastal south uh, how did that kind of influence the sound of 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 y'all especially during that time and you know as time went on
3: so i mean beach music you know that's if you're from south carolina you can't
2: beach boogie boogie (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah
3: boogie woogie i mean well so like my mom you know grew up Going to, you know, I mean, well, well they all, Hank's parents and my parents were about 10 years apart, but my, my parents were older. But, but my mom literally grew up in the jitterbug generation and she, her parents had a house at Ocean Drive. I mean, Ocean Drive Beach at North Myrtle Beach is like the, where at least white beach music was born. And my mom grew up in the middle of it. So they were, they were into, you know, my mom's favorite song was, you know, uh, 60 Minute Man and you know you like to think that my mom didn't know what 60 Minute Man was about <laughs> but that, that whole you know if you listen to that song it's just that whole you know that whole rhythm and blues you know beach music feel which was really like and then you sort of go Sam Cooke and then before you know it it's Van Morrison which you know Van Morrison was a huge huge influence for me, you know, singing wise and all that. And and all he wanted to do was play blues and rhythm and blues. So we, and we ended up Sadler Vaden and I wrote a song with beach music in mind and, and it's on the new record called Carolina Grand and Carolina Grand Strand. But, um, so it's funny that, that what you're asking about is kind of represented on this record because it really, I think you're right. There, there is a coastal, thing that's not just not just country and it's not you know it's not outlaw country it's funny we've never really we've never really fit in in the outlaw country thing because we i don't know i guess we're just don't we don't sing about
2: we don't uh, and... <laughs> that's right <laughs> i think we're too happy <clears throat> yeah <laughs> um yeah, I think I think our sound, though, just was really, really the sound that, that we love to play was ingrained in us, um, you know, before we even got to the coast, you know, just being, well, we were in Florence, which is, you know, where Florence is. Florence is the road, is the town you go through on the way to Myrtle Beach. That's right. Mm-hmm. Florence, yeah. You know, the town on Florence, Myrtle Beach. I've been through that. That's it. I've been
3: through there. Yeah. I ninety five Crossroads of America. I ninety five and I twenty. That's right. You can get anywhere. You can get to anywhere from Florence. (laughs) But um, you know, people ask me all the time, like, you know, what's your favorite song? What's your song? You know, that's an impossible question to answer. But at one point, I was I heard um, "Midnight Train to Georgia," and I was like, "All right, that's as good as any song I could ever think of." That if I had to. If that was the last song I had to hear before I died, I'd be okay with that, with Midnight Train to Georgia. (laughs) And I mean, you know, that's just an R&B, like, soul song. And it's like, um, you know, there's, I could have picked, Hank could pick a hundred bluegrass songs, and I could have picked a Bob Dylan song. I could pick a Little Feet song. But I feel like that stuff is kind of
1: you know hank you, you you know bobby touched on that bringing that bluegrass and he's kind of got that rock side of of things and how you 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 even touched on it beforehand a little little americana type type sound nowadays is what it, i guess it would be called but back then you guys were doing something a little bit different i guess you know it was it's kind of a whole unique sound
2: yeah It was, you know, we were listening to all kind of bluegrass. One of our favorite uh, bluegrass bands that both Bobby and I loved uh, and got to know were the Seldom Seen. Um, And they were like one of the first, I mean, I'm sure there were probably some other bluegrass bands that were playing some rhythm blues or shooter rock songs, bluegrass style, but they were the ones that were really, really good at it. (laughs) And they actually did it so well that... uh, that, uh, you know, that, uh, I don't know. It was, like, it was authentic. Yeah. Was authentic, yeah, And so, so we, we always, and they were, they were all also the band that all, that all had jobs, you know, they all had day jobs, but they, they toured the world, you know, playing music, you know, um, mostly weekends and mostly festivals and stuff. But, um, they were like, they were our idols and still are, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, anywho yeah we just um...
3: well then there were also other bands I mean you know it wasn't like we it wasn't like we invented something or we can't I mean there were lots of other bands sort of in the same in the same arena probably and we were you know emulating some of them but I would say like you know when we finally went full time I mean at that point Uncle Tupelo had been around for a couple of years and they were kind of a seminal band. You know, they, they kind of did some, you know, they, they, they popped out. I mean, another band you gotta, you gotta, gotta put in the mix is R.E.M. I mean, if you're from South Carolina in 1983, 84, 85, 86, 87, R.E.M. was a huge, huge band for me. And, and I know Hank and everybody, all of us, you, you couldn't. And then as a musician, you went, wow, a band from Athens made it. Holy crap! And and who? That's what Hootie did. They were they were totally an REM cover band. They'll say that at one point. They were like, almost like an REM cover band. But they um. So we sort of had them to emulate. Then the Connells in Raleigh was another jangle rock kind of band, and they were guys that went to Chapel Hill, you know, in NC State. So so we had some other bands that we were kind of emulating, and then you throw in the bluegrass. But then um. Uncle Tupelo and then Uncle Tupelo split into Sunvolt and Wilco. Then uh 96 Wave was a radio station in Charleston, so just go figure our our hometown radio station is playing Sunvolt and Wilco and Blue Mountain and Cracker and because the guy that bought the station owned the station and he could do what he damn well pleased. And and it was it happened to be that he loved that stuff. So he mixed he mixed in all the hits with this this sort of he was just really loved that America what would, became Americana and it was you'd hear Sunvolt and you'd hear those bands and so we're all of a sudden like going yes you know bands that we that we like that kind of sound like what we're trying to sound like a little bit you know they say, I mean Sun Vault sounded a little bit like Neil Young and Crazy Horse in the early days, I think <clears throat> those guitars, those tremolo guitars. And, uh, you know, but anyway, I digress.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you talk about it too. And obviously as time goes on, things, things evolve. I mean, how has the band evolved? Cause I know some members have come and gone and, and, and different things have happened. So how has, how has the, the band evolved o- over the years?
2: Hmm. Question. question. Um, we... you know, we're, we're still here. Still evolving. <laughs> still evolving. Um, I, I like this. Uh, you know, Greg.
3: Greg's our original drummer, you know, so it's funny when we did this record, even though Dan, our guitar player, has been with us for about seven years now, and Charlie the Pedal Steel has been playing pretty solid with us for about five years. But, I mean, Greg was our original drummer that just stepped on stage in 1991, I think. And it was me making this record. It was me and Hank and Greg in the studio for the for the first sessions with Sadler Vaden producing and playing guitar. He had a guitar in his hand at the at the desk, and he had Paul Ebersold doing engineering. So really, what was fun about that is it was me and Hank and Greg, same old band, and Sadler playing guitar and just. Sadler would just fill in and do whatever. And then we brought in Dan and Charlie, but, but it's, that to me is, is like, well, that's the nucleus of the band. I mean, if, if Hank and Greg and I are there, we got kind of a good bit of it right there. We just, the rhythm guitar and the vocals, Hank's bass and some percussion. So, you know, we, you know, Buck Bradbury was in the band. Chris Holden was in the band. I mean, then then then, it, then Chris left, and Buck was in there, and we were a trio. And then Buck left, and Philip Lamons came in. And Philip Lamons, you know, keeps weaving in and out of our lives because he's now moved to Nashville and he's writing for Curb Publishing, and um, he's doing really well. And and so we've been able to kind of. Sur- I mean, we're Hank and Philip were roommates mm-hmm. at, at uh, College of Charleston. Mm-hmm. But we've been able to circle back with Philip many times, and he, you know, wrote some songs on this album. Like Hank, I mean, I know you you did some writing with Philip.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. First. I mean, how how cool is it to bring bring back some of those guys, especially as as Bobby said, Hank, you know, to do do writing because uh, Philip co-wrote several songs on, on the album.
2: Yes, yes, mm-hmm. he he's he's written several songs on most of the, <laughs> just about all the albums. He's. He's um he you know he's he's an amazing songwriter. He's a, a bit of the Renaissance man. A bit of a renaissance man that he's really good at a lot of things, falconry and fly fishing. Yeah. Boats. He's a great hook. The, great great harpoon player, you know, just you know, he's 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 a good he's a good he's a good tool to have in your toolbox, you know, if you're it's definitely if you're um, whatever you're <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But he's a, it's it's uh he he's one of those songwriters though that, that does it, it's very, um, he's very he writes writes very uh, very very not not very complicated. It's like words you say every day, uh. But he's really good at phrasing, phrasing you know phrasing, and he's good at putting all those, you know, whatever you say putting it in a putting it in a song then it sounds almost like a like a conversation like conversationally I think it some ways very I think what one of the one of the first uh uh you know write-ups you know interview critic i guess critics that we've received about the new record is is that you know uh the good ones you know which we all think is like one of the best ones and it does sound kind of like a conversation sounds when you hear it, you can hear like a group of people saying there's, there's, there's songs, there's dogs, there's guitars, there's old bottles of wine, you know, and then, and then, but, but to create a song with all that going on, um, you know, that's, that's one of his strengths. Um,
3: um, We just got, we just got that this morning. We just got that this morning. It was UK Americana. and, and, And listen, to be just, to be listened to by that, whoever that was, and, and it was, you know, we got seven out of ten. Hell, 70. It's a passing grade. We didn't fail.
2: Yeah.
3: And um, he said the good ones was, he said the album starts off with the worst song of the lot. <laughs> <laughs> the worst song of the lot, and it's good that they got to be past that because it gets better from there. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I'm like, shit, the good ones is one of my favorites. Like, if that's the worst one, well, shit, what a great compliment. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That means the rest of them are really good. Um, but but yeah, Philip, uh, we're fortunate that we that we stay in real good touch. And he's like Hank said, he's just one of those guys. He just got a lot. He's got a lot going on, and he's just a uh, and he's a great guy. And you know what I think he's also good at when I was thinking about this when you're talking Hank, is he's good at listening. I mean, all he's doing is co-writing. And and frankly, people are coming to him because I think of who he is, and because of his just—he's just got a great knowledge of things, and he's just with all these different interests and hobbies and stuff that he does. He just knows a lot, and he's and he really connects with people. He really gets deep into somebody right away, and I think he's just so good at listening. And when he wrote with us for this album, I think he was really thinking about us. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was really. He wasn't really just coming and saying, here's my song, record my song. Although The Good Ones was his song that he wrote with. And I know the girl that he wrote, the, the guy that he wrote it with, I got to meet. And then he wrote Love Is Love Is Love. And I got, I knew that girl too. And um, so it was cool to know those people. But um, But then when he did the co-writing with me and Hank, he was really, he was really listening. And I think he was really trying to sing, trying to come up with something that we could sing not just a song that he wrote that we would just cover, you know? So it was uh,
1: satisfying. You know, this album is, as we said at the beginning, it's, it's been a little while in between, you know, if, if someone had a kid, they could vote, (laughs) they could, they could drive, (laughs) they could do a lot of things. I don't think they could enjoy the beer yet. Technically, if they were born (laughs) right when that one dropped, but why, why, why put out an album 16 years later? I mean, what, what, how did this all come about?
2: It was the, made to our fans 15 years ago 16 years ago <laughs> and we made it yeah and well, we made it every yeah. year we made it every year since uh just you know so it's kind of like making good on a promise but it was all i think it was awesome. i mean we were we, we 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 wanted to we wanted to we were just you know busy covered up covered up with family and work and and um you know gigging and gigging we were playing you know most week. yeah, we, we, yeah. Was,
3: there was some, there was some stuff that came out early on in the bio for this album that said that we took a sabbatical but we never really took a sabbatical we just <laughs> we took a sabbatical from the business maybe but we never have stopped playing so we've been steady busy playing but playing closer to home you know but uh the gigs kept going and yeah, we just never really had time to slow down and do it. And, you know, if you're going to write, you really got to devote time to it. So in that sense, we're yet another, we're yet another group or artist that COVID, you know, the pandemic actually created the time for us. Finally. I mean, just to be able to tell you what, just to be able to get off the treadmill of playing every, every other weekend or, or three weekends a month or whatever. I mean, because it's just hard to turn down gigs. It's hard to just say no when we're willing to do it. And we got the musicians that'll go on the road with us. It's hard to say no, but we, we had, we had no choice. So it was, it was like, God, to me, that was the biggest. People were like, don't you miss playing? And I'm like, No. (laughs) no, I don't.
1: You mean yes, but no.
3: I like (laughs) hanging out. I like hanging out at my house on my
1: sofa.
3: (laughs) But no, but then eventually, then eventually, it was like, yeah, it was just like um, starting to dream about songs, like dreaming about songs. I, I, I literally during COVID, I started dreaming. I woke up a couple of times knowing that I had just heard a song that I had never heard before, and I and I know and I and I've lost it. I lost it, you know. But I, I swear, I was like, I was even in my dream. I think I was in my dream, still being like, "Wait, I'm singing something. that I don't think I've ever heard this song before. What it's is it? Best song in the world. The best song in the world. to my dreams. Oh, wake up! Alarms going off. Ah.
1: Well, I mean, uh, is that where the title, you know, the album title came from? Big dreamers.
2: No, big dreamers came. Uh, it was actually a term that, that a friend of mine, uh, friend of mine, said. But I, uh, the, the so that 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 term came from a friend. But the song and the content of the song really came from just you know growing up in a loving family. You know, growing up with a dad that was a true believer who had a friend who used to call people dirt rotors. There's a, uh, there's a line in there. He's an old dirt roader. He had a friend that used to, uh, he would say, you see that boy over there? He's a real dirt roader. And it it, it (laughs) was a term. It it was a good thing. It was like a, almost like old boy. That's a good man. You know, he's he's grounded. He's well grounded. Yeah. He lives on a dirt road, but he's, uh, (laughs) he knows the English language better than most English teachers. And, you know, it's just, He's yeah. just a good, good yeah. good guy, you know? So anyway, yeah. that's, that, that's where the big dreamers though, was kind of like that, you know, that, that title that everybody, you know, can kind of relate to, you know, we all have our dreams. Um,
3: but I do think it, I do think it describes us as a band. I think yeah. it was perfect. It was just one of those, those centered, you know, moments of synergy where it was like, You know, it was, uh, did y'all watch that, um, you know, Yellowstone Mm. and then there was the the prequel to Yellowstone with Tim McGraw. Oh yeah. Did you watch that? 18. 18. You know, toward one of the last episodes of that, he's talking to the daughter and he says, you're a big dreamer, girl. You're a big dreamer, honey. Yeah. He called her a big dreamer. He said, are you got big dreams? And I think I'm, Either recorded it or I texted it to you or something, But I and then somewhere else in the past year, I've heard. I hear it, something referred.
2: I hear it a lot on to big sporting sporting events, like like you know, the you know all these yeah. all these athletes, especially around the Olympics. You know, there were a lot of big dreamers. You know, the, dreaming to defeat yeah. in the Olympics. Yeah.
3: Um, well, they was. It definitely applied. It definitely applied to
2: us yeah. this
1: record. You know, Absolutely. And and what can folks expect on on Big Dreamers? Because you know it, it's by the time this comes out, this episode comes out, the album will be out. So what can folks expect and what can they they enjoy on the album? Hmm. I think there's a little
2: something something for everyone on this album. Yeah. Uh, well. Tip, typical. Well. <laughs> typical blue dogs blue dogs album. Has got you know. has got your. Got a little bluegrass tinge song, you know. It's got some, you know, definitely the the guys some, some some hardcore country type tunes on it, you know. And then, of course, mm-hmm. but I think you know, and it's got yeah. whatever. Uh, it's it's our, our- good old country rock. Good old, it's
3: good old country rock. I mean, I think yeah. it. I think it's pretty well covers everything. I mean, it's got what we sound, what we are, and. It's got a little stretch here. This one song, "Young Love," that's kind of like sounds a little bit like a good old redneck, almost like a modern country song. And then, and then it's got a we got a bluegrass song that we wrote with Philip that um Jerry Douglas, the Dobro master, you know, uh, plays on, and it's just like where we're just listening to it, looking at looking at each other, going, "What? That's Jerry Douglas!" (laughs) And then, and then we did the beach music song, which is fun, you know, playing it for my mom, and she's, you know, gets up and starts doing the little shag, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then it's just, you know, cool. That, there you are. You're there. All right, I had to. Anyway.
2: Um, that, um, I may, may need to plug it up. Well,
1: and. And how does how does this album compare to, to past ones? Because obviously time has has passed since since you know your your last studio album. So how how does this compare to things that people have heard you all play in the past? I mean, Hank kind of mentioned it, and you mentioned it too, Bobby. It it's got a little bit of everything that the Blue Dogs are known for. But but you know what? Mm-hmm. But what is that?
3: <laughs> yeah. What is that? what is? That? Um. You know. Sh- songs with relatable lyrics, maybe, and uh country rock vibe, a little too country for rock, a little too rock for country, um, a little too nice to be an outlaw, you know, um, but, but America, nonetheless, I mean, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, I I like Sadler Sadler, who produced the record and who played in the band when he was younger and is with Jason Isbell now, of course. And, um, you know, he felt like he knew exactly what he wanted it to sound like. And and, and he knew that it would be whatever we wanted it to sound like too. I mean, we kind of feel like we shared in that. And the songwriting kind of drives it. So maybe it's good songwriting. Maybe we've been just lucky to be able to write some decent songs. I don't mean to sound like cocky or or like, you know, patting myself on the back or anything, but you know, we, we enjoy doing that. We like to feel like we're, you know, we, we like words and we like putting words and stuff together. And we, you know, we, uh, we like to think we're educated enough about music where we, we know to how to pull from different places. And that's what it feels like to me is that I'm such a music fan that, um, that I like to, you know, I think I've just assimilated music that I want to sound like, maybe. I mean, I think, I think somebody like Ryan Adams does that. You know, like Ryan, if you listen to Ryan Adams' records, like the, the gold record, you know, it's almost like every song sounds a little bit like, like this song sounds like the who, this song sounds like the dead, this song sounds like, you know, but it's him, very much him. And it's brilliant songwriting and all that. So in some ways I I'd like to think that I'd like to think that that's kind of what we do. It's it, it may not be totally groundbreaking. It's not like we're the B fifty twos and we have some new sound and some new look, you know. <laughs> just but we're just we're just song I feel like we're song we're crafting songs that we want to sound like. I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: It definitely does. It, it definitely does, and you know, I also think too. You know, you, you're you're one of the singles out um, before the album was the good ones, and the the video for it. Um, I, I just feel like y'all had a good time with that video. Is that just who y'all are? I mean, I, I, I just feel like you know. I mean, granted, you have your own beer, which is great, by the way. I'm I've, I've on my second one, but all it sounds right. like y'all just enjoy to have a good time. Is that all you guys want to do? Yeah. Pretty much. That's, you know, shooting that in one <laughs> of our
2: favorite, definitely my favorite bar uh, in the world, probably hands down, the Windjammer on the Isle of Palms. Um, You know, shooting it in that bar. You know, uh, you know with yeah. with you know and you know you, you know the bartenders. You know you know the you know the owners. You know.
3: Yeah, we got, we got the owner in the video with us who said, I'll never be in a video. And he said it all day, that, all morning that morning. I don't, I don't do video. I don't do video. And we, his wife showed up and his daughter and like four of his dogs. And we were like, and I just went to his daughter. I was like, you got all right, you got to get in and then you got to get your
2: dad in. You got to get your dad in.
3: And messing up when you see the couple with the dog. Um, oh yeah, man. It was, and it was, you know, it was in the morning. We went in there, we got in there at eight in the morning. So we're by the night, when you see us all drinking and stuff, it's like, it's only like 1130. 12 o'clock maybe one.
2: It was five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was
3: five o'clock somewhere. But, uh, yeah. What did you say? What did you say to somebody? Was that on the radio today? Hey, you said, we're going to, when it comes to fun, I like
2: oh, we have our fun. Like, oh, no, we're we have gonna, a lot of, fun. we're going yeah. to have, have some fun, fun now. Yeah, but there's a lot of work involved. He was asking us, like you know, you know, uh, y'all seem like you have fun. You're like oh yeah, we have fun, but there's a lot of work that's that's uh, that we all yeah. do. You know, to you know, so we can have that fun. You know, it's not fun. If you don't, especially if you don't do the work to support what you're doing, then it, it can gotta get you know a little more like work.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But absolutely, absolutely. Well, and I feel like this of
2: kind work, of. I was just saying, not that we, you know, not that we. my work. We work, work. all the time, but anyway.
1: Yeah. Well, and I feel like you know I read too where this record means. Uh, I feel like this record means a lot to y'all too. I mean, I think I read somewhere where it says the dream is still alive. You know, the dream is still alive. How, how important is that for you all? I mean, yeah, hugely.
2: I mean, she just to have, um, to have, uh, you know, my kids now are, you know, 18 and 16. My daughter, you know, she loves to sing, you know, and she's, I I don't know I'm 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 not I'm not trying to make the correlation between me being a singer but I just think that they to for them to see to know how hard we've worked you know through the years and that we've been gone you know so much you know they they got to know that this is you know this is very much a dream of ours you know to share our music with the world with as many people that we can get to listen and uh, and, and and to yeah. to stay true to that dream. And not give up, you know. I think that's probably the the bigger lesson uh, for our kids, you know. Anyway, um, but uh, and, and our fans. I mean, I, I think I think uh, you know, like I said it's our dream, but we all we 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 owe it to ourselves, you know. I made the comment we owe it to ourselves, to our fans, and we owe it to our families too, you know, because they have they've sacrificed, you know. We haven't always been there, you know. So to be able to continue to, you know, keep writing, keep, you know, entertaining others, you know, um, and, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's, uh, shoot. And if it gets, and if it gets to be more of that, if we're, you know, shoot, we're playing on stage at the Grand Ole Opry, you know, and the next year that wouldn't hurt my feelings either, you know? Uh, so. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know. Well, it just, it just feels, it just, it feels good. It definitely feels good to, uh, means a lot because it feels good to to uh, finally circle back and get that dream. I mean, get the uh, promises to, to, to stay true to our promise that we were going to do another record. And then and then for me, it was just like, God, just to get it out. I, I was really starting to get freaked out a little bit that we weren't going to do it and that it wasn't going to happen. I was starting to have those kind of thoughts like, God, that would just suck. And I'll do that. I know yeah. we can do it. You know, I know we can do it. And I was really beginning to question whether, whether I could do it. Like I was beginning to think like either. And I think that's what writer's block is, is that you start, start questioning. Well, well I'm obviously not, uh, I'm not making it a priority. And so it's not coming naturally. Maybe that part of me is just kind of gone
2: and, or whatever. And then, we had, and I had to get out really of our own way to do it. We <laughs> really did. And that was, uh, that's hard. That's hard to do as, as a writer. That is, we were both suffering from writer's block. You, you come up with an idea and then you're like, Oh, I think I got this. And you write a couple, lines like, Oh, I don't like that scratch. Then you never come back yeah. to it. And I'm glad that we were able to keep her, keep her head down and, you know, get it, get yeah. it, uh, get, get it through. It, 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 it took a village. It took all of us and, and some others to make it happen. But, but, uh,
3: yeah well and really to be to really to be able to do it it was going to require from the get-go it's going to require somebody to we didn't have a manager or a booking agent anymore mm-hmm. and we knew that we were going to have to hire somebody to do to pull it together and to, to manage this thing and uh, josh terry um who was a he was a uh, intern with hooting the and blowfish and then he then he worked for our manager, Jared Wilkins, who's still here in Charleston managing bands. Uh, Josh worked with with uh, with J- Jared when we did our "Letters from Roundo" record in the late '90s. And Josh is always like, he, and he started his own management company in Nashville. And you know, I would see every once in a while he'd tweet something, and he goes, "You know, I'm listening to Blue Dogs today, and he, I just want everybody to know that you know." That's just one of my, I just love that band. It reminds me when I started in this business and they gave me an opportunity and And I I mean, every time I just call him up and I go, please manage us. And he's like, write, write a new record. Give me some new music. I'm not going to just, I can't, I can't help you unless you have a new record. And that was literally like, I mean, I think you told me that 10 years ago. And and he said, but if you get, if you, if you have some new music, I can work with that. I can do something with that. Um, So that was always sort of echoing in my brain too. Like we can't, nobody's going to work, want to work with us unless we have a new product. And it finally sunk in one day that, damn it, you know, that's the, that's the key is just do that. And then, and sure enough, we hired Josh said, yes, I'll do it. And, you know, let's go for a year. We'll just see. And, And then we did the crowd funder and people, people chimed in everywhere, chipped in, and we made enough money to be able to, you know, get the Christmas record done and get, get this, this record done. And then you, you know, then you get the PR, PR firm, IVPR, you know, that that was responsible for really setting this up. I mean, that's, you just don't have access to this kind of stuff without them, you know, and it really comes down to what those crowdfunders did. It makes it, and, and Josh, I mean, Josh is the, Link. And, and when, when young bands and young artists ask me like, what, you know, what do you do to be successful? I was like, find good management, find good management. And it's, and let me tell you what, it ain't hard to find management, yeah but it's hard to find good management or you gotta be careful. You gotta be, you know, you gotta be, you gotta, and, it's, and it may not be that it's, bad management might just not be the right fit. So that's hard, man. It's hard for a bunch of young guys to do and to know how to do that. But um, anyway, we we were lucky. We kind of hit on, we kind of hit, hit the jackpot, you know, with Josh and just the timing and the record and Sadler. I mean, that wouldn't have happened without Sadler. I mean, that's even before Josh. You got to have just to have Sadler in the position that he's in today. Saying, yes, I still want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Better not do it without me. Mm-hmm. You know. So mm-hmm. that that was really that was really cool and really fun. I mean, Sadler made it fun. I mean, the week that we recorded, my wife was out of town. So like Sadler and Paul stayed over at my house. And it was just fun. It was just fun to wake up and Sadler be up, like, coming in. And going, Bobby, you ready to get up? Let's go to studio. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean, anyway, just, anyway. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's those hour relationships. Hour. It's those relationships. And as I, as I wrap it up, you know, you can find more at bluedogs.com. Follow them on social media. You know, it, relationships go a long way. Like, I mean, I think about it. You know, you, you brought back uh, Philip to write a little bit. Even um, other members of the band were, are part of the process. And even your man- manager, you know, was back. With the group at one point Sadler was with the group At one point You know Even though yeah. he's now Working with Jason Isbell in the, in the 400 unit And also doing other things too I mean he produced uh, uh, Morgan Wade's album too So I mean He's, he's doing this too On the side But it, Relationships matter And I guess as we wrap it up You know What can folks expect From you the rest of the way And what relationships Are, are, are going to be formed uh, Throughout the rest of the year
2: Got some big Got some You know I mean, The record's not even out yet We already have generated some pretty cool events you know yeah. um obviously yeah we got uh <laughs> you know we got added to a uh, darius ruckers doing a big concert in charleston we got that we got uh festival we got invited to the americana music festival up in nashville uh so we got invited to do a showcase hey. like a 45 minute showcase up there i mean that's that's stuff that's we're just like scratching. Like, is this they're they're really they're really listening? They're really listening to it, you know.
3: We've been, we've been well. We've been we've been wanting to do that, you know. I think just to be able to check the box as much as anything, but I mean, you know, I went to the Americana conference early on, and you know, we'd already been playing for so long at that point that it was it was tough. It was tough to be there and not be playing. So. If anything, and Hank knows, I went there and I came back and I was like, I do not ever want to go to that thing again if we're not playing. Because it was just, it was just frustrating. It was fun, but it was frustrating at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've lived with that for a while. That was a while back. I mean, that was 2008 or 9 or yeah. something like that or 10. So, mm-hmm. a good 10 years, you know, or more. And, uh, now we finally, you know, we made the first round of cuts for the for the showcase, which is great. So yeah, stuff like that. I mean, that just makes it all, all worth it and you know, we hope to just keep keep on keeping on.
1: And the dream is alive, right? The uh, dream is still alive. Uh, hey,
3: Mick Jagger, I just saw I just saw a tweet this week of Mick Jagger and Keith Richards backstage in South America, wherever their tour's starting, sitting down and Keith's playing the guitar and they're singing. Punk, the country honk version of honky tonk women. And they're just looking at each other and smiling. I just thought, I swear, I be mean, not to be too silly, but thought about me and Hank, I was like, that's <laughs> kind of what we're going to be like when we're freaking 75 and 80. We're just going to be there, Yeah. Yeah. Let's just pick. We got, we got to play with doc Watson. One time we got to do a concert. I booked him at the doc street theater. And you know what he did? He sat backstage and played mm-hmm. the guitar the entire time. He didn't sit around and chitter chat and talk. He just picked and you could go pick with him. And that's why I'm like, that's, that's not too bad. That's not too bad for a, you know, If that if I could do that in retirement, that's yeah. what I want to do. <laughs> and I think we, pro- and I honestly, I think that's probably what we will do. Hopefully. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, fingers crossed. And, and you know, this album is great. You know the beer is great. I, I have got to listen to the album. Like I said, when this episode drops, it will be out. But I got to listen to the album beforehand. It sounds awesome, and uh, the 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 dream is alive. The beer is good, and Hank and Bobby. This was a lot of fun, thank and I, I appreciate the time.
3: Thank you,
2: John. Thank thank, thank really you for being a big this. dreamer believer.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>